so Justice League, you've got the premise is that there's these three boxes that'll destroy the world. The most important the mother thing, boxes. right? The mother boxes, is yeah. that what they're called? Okay. So um, they manage to separate these things and they have to keep them from, uh, away from combining. So the Amazon women put their box into a temple that's guarded by like hundreds of warriors for yeah. 5,000 years. That's their only job, just guard this box and tell us if anything happens. But they take shifts. Yeah, yeah. they probably do. And uh, I like how she's shaking when she's going to do like you know, yeah, games yeah, yeah. or whatever, right? Just moving. And yeah, she's yeah. like, oh with her sword and she's like <laughs> it's kind of dramatic but um so uh and then her you know touch it and i'm thinking don't touch it don't touch it but anyway so it's being guarded really well then the other one goes into aquaman's territory right and again it's in a temple and there's not as many guards but there is a guard out front right and they're all aware of what's in there and they're they're keeping an eye on it but man takes their box and digs a hole and it's not even a deep hole and they put this most important dangerous thing into a shallow grave and then bury it up and thinking, yeah, done. And Perfect. Steppenwolf couldn't find it. And that's the one he can't find. I know. But of course it got dug up because, you know, on the surface people build things, you know, unlike, you know, in the, the water. I don't know how they get their materials. But I know. I loved it. Was, it. it. I it thought ridiculous. it was really, I thought it was so much better than the first one. I really like this cut. And I like fantasy stuff. Anything to take me away from what, you know, we deal with during the day, I just love it. Give me an apocalypse movie, a zombie movie, you know, James Bond. I'll take Steppenwolf and Batman any day, particularly Ben Affleck. I thought it was a pretty good one. I just want to ride in his car. I thought he was a pretty good Batman because I have seen the Batman What's his films. superpower? Yeah. What's his superpower? Yeah. <laughs> I'm rich. I'm rich. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good superpower because, well, you know, it's not just the money to have it. He's got Alfred designing all this crazy Alfred's stuff. pretty cool. Yeah. That guy's like a super engineer. What's, what is it? How does he know how to do all this stuff? Because he's a butler, right? <laughs> he must have trained at... Batman's business. Speaking about superpowers, lockdown versus shutdown. I know that oh was bothering you. I try not to read the news because it's uh, it's crazy, and I don't like to know what's happening. I just sort of carry about my business. But yeah. it seems it it's nuts. Like I we've got a month long shutdown prediction, and now it's over a year later, and of course people are protesting, right? What do you think about that? The people going out and protesting. Look, you know, the problem has been we're 13 months into this and we still don't have what we can consider some uniformity or consistency as to how we deal with it. But, you know, I'm not like some of the people screaming about constitutional rights. And when, you know, the Civil Liberties Union was sort of weighing into this at the beginning because of the emergency orders, I was going, look, you know, it's a pandemic. People do die from this. You know, we've had we've had experience with family members and, and people who are related to people in our office pass away because of COVID. And it's like, it's not just about individual rights. It's when an individual right impairs somebody else's ability to live. Mm -hmm. I take it seriously. I think there has to be balance in everything. So when I see the video that was taken this weekend at Yorkdale and people are f***ing everywhere and it doesn't look like there's social distancing and it doesn't look like the capacity limits and, and then there's stores and salons, you know, having limited capacity and salons now have to stay closed again. And there was that clip I saw on the news of that uh, gentleman who owned, um, I think it was a barber shop, and, and you know, he's just been crushed by this. That bothers me, and I totally get it, right? But there, that's when we have really inconsistent policy and some sort of stable plan. And I get you have to adjust to the science and things that are going on, but there needs to be some consistency to it, and we still haven't met that, even though we're 13 months into it. So I have sympathy for the government. I do believe that there needs to be modifications because we got we got to do something about you know the virus and the variants. But well, I would go protest, but I don't want to catch COVID. <laughs> That's <laughs> good point. Yeah, I know. Um, but no, I, I think you know the, there are some major problems with um, like I, I think there's a large portion of society that's not quite sane, and this is wreaking havoc with those segments of the public, all the conspiracy theorists, and you know i can't blame them for thinking that you know there's stuff going on because we've got people um saying don't wear masks you only need to wear a mask if you're sick they said that for a long time and then they pretend they never said that and they changed their opinion and yeah. and then we catch you know they're probably just trying to you know lighten up a bit like we're doing now but they've had doctors that were caught saying things that were oh I, sketchy don't get me started with the way how some people behave you know we had that controversy over the winter break with government officials or head of f***ing, what was the St. Joseph's um, ho hospital system? I, I forgot what it is, but it's a combination of hospitals. And then I think it was the 
uh, one of the, I think it was the CEO, I, I, I hope I'm getting that accurate, was away on holiday, and we had the minister away. Like, I mean, that's just, that's abominable, and that can't happen. And that would, would set off segments of society and, and protests. I totally get that. But, but again, this is not a joke. We are in a pandemic. People are dying. There are people in ICU. And what's amazing to me is that within a province uh, that with almost 15 million people, uh, where we are supposed to be as sophisticated as we are with our healthcare system, we've got such limited ICU beds is astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Um, but I side more on, you know, when it comes to, there are those who will fight about individual liberties, and I have a right to my liberty. If I choose to accept this risk, I should be able to go out and do whatever I want. And if you're scared of it, or you're worried, or you have vulnerability, you have the right to stay home. I don't buy that because uh, your liberty may cause harm to somebody else who has no choice but to work. I mean, so many people in our society have no, you know, I can't stop thinking about the bus driver in, on the Brampton system who passed away from COVID and they weren't targeted to be vaccinated just like other people. And then that brings me back to our, how our federal government completely well, screwed up the lack with of procuring. Logic. Well, but it's, it's, it's more than that. It, 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 it doesn't get enough play as far as I'm concerned, how we are somewhere between, if you get the stats between 41st in the world or 56th in the world, as far as vaccinations and how we did not have the foresight early on to try and buy as many vaccinations as possible from Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and make sure we had an overabundance. It's astonishing that an agreement was made with China initially, who hates us and has two Canadians held captive without yeah, any due process. I, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I cut my arm off before I'll do business with them, given what they're doing to those two Michaels, which is absurd. And, and that's where you put your eggs into a basket as opposed to trying to... Like, Australia's practically COVID-free and they bought an overabundance and we can't do this. It, it, it's astonishing to me. Well, there's some good arguments. But that, that poor bus driver, yeah. along with other individuals who work in food processing plants and are teaching in schools and are, are working in, in facilities like that Amazon facility where they're trying to get out product to people, these people needed to be uh, on the list as well. And we just f***ed it all up. And it's, it's astonishing to me. Yeah, Never well, like what happened along. I've seen some really good arguments, though, like closing down all the small shops forces people to have to line up at the big box stores. And if you were to open up at, at a lower capacity, right, still follow the same kind of rules. But if you were to allow people to open their stores up, then it would spread out where people are having to line up. So Maybe, but I, I don't see the problem with small stores managing small capacity, booking people in by appointment, following protocols, you know, as opposed to those Costco you know, giant lineups, which we've seen on social media so many times. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, that's where you get inconsistent policy. And I totally understand how segments of our society get so upset about it. But, you know, that, that's just stupidity. That's just not consistent policy. And we need to, there's no reason between the scientific minds and, frankly, the, the, the business minds that we have to put their heads together and come out with some plan. But I don't, I don't agree with protesters and people who say individual rights trump my my right to be protected because frankly yeah i could stay home but there are people who need our services right and we have no choice but to come into an office and every so Did often go see, to court and help people there was a, a video that i saw i think it was just last night actually of um yeah because it was over the easter weekend the police with um, one of the health officials tried to go into a church right and did you see that and the guy's screaming I saw, at them. I, 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 yeah yeah so so legally like what's you know, the deal with that. He's saying, don't come back unless you have a warrant. Well, they, uh, I, I think the police who backed off eventually needed some guidance, made the right decision because you don't want to make it uglier. What are you going to do? Arrest people who are, uh, you know, observing a, a high holiday? I mean, you, you can't do that. It was unclear how many people were actually in the church. We don't have the facts. Um, they saw it clearly as an invasion of their rights, their ability to gather for religious purposes. And I, 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 I understand that. And, and I think the What's analogies with what went on in Europe during you know, the Second World War isn't fair. Uh, I, I don't think it's the same. I understand their sentiment. The problem is the police made the right choice. And health services can come in afterward and see if somebody needs to be fined about it. But it's the same thing if you're flying into the country, you're on a non-essential 
uh, flight, you come into the country, you're not going to get arrested and, and moved into a hotel. If you don't want to obey it, you're just going to get a fine. I don't think that a lot of people agree that religion is a non-essential service, especially with the stress people have been under for the last year. I'm actually kind of surprised that it's not considered an essential service because, you know, that's, you know, a part of life that gives them that sense of, of um, value and meaning and, um, you know, helps people through really difficult times. And Yeah, but, but that doesn't mean that we can't do it in a way that's still safe, right? Like, I mean, you don't, you know, if you have two services a day, maybe you can make it three or four services. I think those who are providing spiritual guidance or, or conducting services, I would see as an essential service. I, I, I would agree with you on that. But I think there's a way to do it safely. It just and seems so arbitrary the way they're making the decisions. And there's no notice, right? So all of a sudden, everything's shut down. And so you're trying to, people have tried to find ways to survive. I mean, when it first started, um, I didn't actually take it seriously until I saw everybody locking themselves into their houses. And it was yeah. just like a ghost town. I was like, oh my God, this is real. This is, and of course. Is that what, was that the moment that you took it seriously? Yeah. You know what my moment was? F when they shut the NBA down. <laughs> he was like, this is real. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd, I'd actually been out down to the Court of Appeal, actually, and um, was getting a copy of something and met with a friend. And then the next day, I walked out, and I'm just like, what's going on? I, well, I saw a lineup for the grocery store. I couldn't figure out why everybody was just standing there so many, you know, yeah, yeah. spaced apart and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I'm like, and then I realized it was the lineup. No lineup is bigger than at Winners. Yeah, and it was... <laughs> It was eerie, though, like the, you know, journalists, uh, you know, some, some people were posting pictures of downtown. It was just like no cars, nothing. Yeah, I know. It was almost like, you know, if they'd had a piece of paper, you know, floating in the air or like a bag doing that little dance in the wind or something yeah, like, like that. it's like my favorite It would have looked like movies. a horror film. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, my, my wife and I, Marcy, my, the lovely Marcy and I were walking. I think it was, it was end of March or early April. Yeah. And I said, you know, take a look around. Look up at the sky. Listen. It was like 10 o'clock at night. It was 10 o'clock and I said, it's never going to be like this again. There wasn't a plane in the sky. There was virtually no cars out. Nobody walking around. It's like one of those George Romeo movies. And there was no toilet paper. There. Like, and, <laughs> sorry? There was nobody anywhere and there was no toilet paper to be found. Yeah, but I had plenty of legal so paper to use. But, like, you know, that's, what, that's when, you know, you looked around and go, like, what's going on? And then the daily numbers were, like, three, 400. Now today it's 3,000. And, you know, I'm in a traffic jam just trying to get to the office. So it's amazing. You know, leaving all our debate about, you know, the constitutionality of this, you know, it's amazing what humans will become, uh, you know, used to and will adapt to uh, even well, in that's extreme what I'm circumstances. And that's, that's been one of the big arguments is just like, if they get us used to this, then are we ever going to get our liberty back again? Or will they sure use will. this? Because, you know, sure we will. I don't want to say the person's name because I know how angry it makes you, but <laughs> a certain prime minister yeah. tried, to, tried to pass uh, legislation that would allow him to make any rules they wanted without, any, um, without having to vote on it and stuff. I can't remember yeah. exactly what yeah, it was. Yeah, including but... taxation, uh, you know, increasing uh, spending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's shocking. And if There's you look no at reason like Parliament tax, can't right? get together. You can that sit was supposed to be temporary. Twenty feet tax. apart. You can zoom in. You know, yeah, yeah, that type of thing is just that's frightening. But that's not. I don't take that as him trying to seize power like some, you know, uh, autocratic leader uh, or trying to be a demigod of some kind. I just take it him as being an idiot, and it's inappropriate and wrong. And, Devious, and frankly, I, I mean, would that say. All I found it very yeah. an idiot. You know, it's not right. I just, uh, you know, I'm really concerned because the same government has passed all these omnibus bills. And so there's a lot of things that sneak in on an omnibus bill and then people don't read it. Yeah. The same way that he was trying to sneak in this legislation, which, well, you know, Which thankfully was caught and it was stopped. Yeah. Look, you know, there are actions... But the question is, will it ever, you know, will we actually be able to return or are these opportunities, you know, that they have now... To encroach on is, our is rights. Is that going to prevent us from actually returning? I'll, I'll say two things. One, I, I don't want to be completely a jerk when it comes to actions by the federal government because they did do certain good things to give financial relief to people who most needed it in this country. So I'll give them credit for that. And, and, and they did listen to scientists, which I think is a good idea, although I don't always agree with what comes out of the mouth of Dr. Tam. That said, uh, these powers have been clawed back. So in Ontario specifically, when they um, declared the emergency at an end, they left in the ability to have you know this 
break, as they call it, or the shutdown, but they did pull back on the restrictions. And there's no unfettered power that they can use without a challenge to the court. If it became insane at a point when the, when the risk no longer presents itself, it will be challenged and it will be successful. Uh, and, and they will pull back on it because they don't, I don't believe for a moment that there's any benefit overall. I don't care about the conspiracy theories. What's the benefit in locking us down and bankrupting this country? Nothing. There's well, no benefit in that. I think it's, I think it's driving people crazy, though. Like, yeah, because it's been 13 months, and our government hasn't had a consistent policy. There was no forethought given to um, buying, you know, bidding and buying vaccines ahead of time, investing in domestic infrastructure so that we can manufacture a COVID-19 vaccine. We, we manufacture the Ebola vaccine and influenza. God forbid we could give half a billion dollars or a bit more domestically to ramp up to do that, purchase the license for Pfizer or somewhere else, but be ready. God forbid we should I'm be able to do that, we one. didn't do it. I'm glad there's more than one vaccine because, you know, can you imagine the conspiracy thinking in terms of big pharma and stuff like that if there was only one company that was getting yeah. all the government and, contracts? And kudos to Canada. We have two being manufactured, one which looks promising. We have incredible scientific ability here. We've got great minds in this country. We have wonderful universities, wonderful hospital system. We could have done it, just we didn't want to. Our government didn't do it. And no wonder people are frustrated because we didn't have a plan to protect us and get out of this stupid situation, yeah. unlike other countries. Well, it's, I think it's going to have an effect on the number of people that are willing to take it. I mean, wasn't there a thing where the seniors, take the vaccine. seniors aren't wanting to take go the take vaccine. it, so they're actually going to, this, take the to their homes? <laughs> but So I don't think it's fair, though, to say that somebody who doesn't want this particular vaccine is an anti-vaxxer or something like that. I, I, think I get if there's concerns about one of the vaccines because of certain issues, but that particular vaccine has been a workhorse across uh, the U.K., uh, in Canada, there's been millions and millions and millions and millions of doses. And I'm no scientist, but really, if we believe the data that's coming out from scientists, you know, the, the side effects, which are dangerous, are such an infinitesimally small percentage that for the groups which it's authorized for, particularly in Canada, where we haven't experienced these side effects, is good. And, and the data shows that the people who receive that vaccine do not get hospitalized and do not die. And that's important. Well, you read the news, so maybe you know more about this because I just saw a flash of this. What's going on? Isn't there's some sort of a like you know concentration camp for people that uh, are going to be forced to isolate or, and things like that? There was, I remember seeing you know that particular prime minister <laughs> making some sort of a statement about how people weren't going to be forced into you know containment facilities or something, and then the next thing you know, there was news out saying that they were actually going to. It's not going to happen. That, 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 that's absurdity what, and that can't happen. What's the actual story? It's bullshit that comes through no. other means. Like, the worst thing he did was this policy that you have to be in a hotel for... Look, nothing is worse than coming back from a holiday that's non-essential and then have to stay at a... And you have to pay oh, for it yourself. I shouldn't say the name of a hotel. I don't want to get sued. But, you know, getting forced to stay there at some exorbitant price and getting bad room service. But the sentiment was... Don't travel non-essential right now because we don't need these variants coming in. But the reality is it's going to come in no matter what. It's just our borders are porous. The way life is is porous. We still have essential goods coming in across our borders. It's going to get here, and it's going to proliferate, and that's what happened. Yeah. But, you know, at some point, he's going to have to lift that. But we're not going to have, God forbid, camps set up where people have to isolate. That's just, that's inhumane. It's wrong, and we can't do that. Uh, so, just thinking about the protests again, though, I mean, there's all kinds of protests going on, not just ones to do with the pandemic, especially down in the States, right? They've had, I think the the city of Portland is actually just a protest it's city a war now. Zone, it's it's yeah, a war yeah. zone. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's just funny, you know, it's one of those, Portland's like, you know, I've had experience only once, but it's like got eclectic culture and cuisine, and it's been a really cool, trendy place. They have tiny towns, I'm really I think these tiny houses and living tiny is really cool. Portland had this great area there. But it's, it's, it's gone down into this protest zone, which is really a shame. But the United States has, has stuff going on that we don't see in Canada, thank God. Well, okay, so let's Never talk about this. Let's talk about this um, defund the police idea. And 
Also, there's another thing that I've been thinking about, which I haven't had a chance to, to chat with you about, this whole decolonize, right? That's a Canada thing too, decolonize. What does that mean? Can I have you... no idea. It's just a buzz term. People will say anything now. I, decolonize. Well, we're not a colony. We're a country. Right. Right, because we have a tie to the monarchy. And Yeah, I mean, I'm really confused as to what it is they're looking for because, I mean, clearly you can't return the country to the state it was in before we built all of these things and paved all these roads. And so the idea that, you know, it's stolen land and that we can somehow restore it. What? To, oh, boy. We're going down a route to suck, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I believe that, you know, there's no doubt that countries were built on, i got to be careful here, were built on force, right? People, you know, we know who the great colonizers were way back when, and it was on brute force, domination of indigenous peoples and culture, and I, I'm not applauding that. But we can't reverse a thousand years or 500 years or 200 years and undo. We can try and make reparations for damages that, that have happened, but we are in a different era now, and we all have to work together to make a better society which is something I believe. And we're not going to be able to reverse what's happened. And we've made certain progresses, which are great. More needs to be done. I mean, I think we have incredible inconsistent policies with how we deal with the indigenous community, no matter what our prime minister tries to say as a male feminist and who's in favor of the indigenous communities. I don't think when an indigenous community far up north still doesn't have clean water in the 21st century, this is ridiculous. You know, I, you know, I could handle this on Jiffy or what's the other one? Home Stars. I could solve the water problem if you give me a bucket of money. Let me go up there and get the right people. It could be solved. So this type of stuff is ridiculous. But we have to realize we are where we are and we have to work with what we have and move forward. Um, and well, this is the concern is that it, like more and more, you know, this whole social justice movement and identity politics and stuff is resulting in people demanding unreasonable things. Yeah. And so, but they're convinced it can happen somehow. And, and it's like, it's hard to, to try and figure out how to even sit at the table to have a discussion about it because the, the starting position is so absurd. And, you know, I, well, I think absurd, you know. <laughs> I don't fully believe that, you know, there's always a path to consensus. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can sit down at a table and we just see things differently and it's never going to change. I mean, I, I just think there are those polarized perspectives and opinions that you're not going to reconcile. It's just not going to happen. But that's why we have government. That's why we need policy. We need brighter people to make decisions. And we've got other shit to deal with. Like, we're going to talk eventually about criminal law, which is kind of pertinent to what we do. But, you know, we've got serious climate issues. We've got serious social justice issues. We've got serious health issues. You know, we got to deal with these things in a meaningful, intelligent way, like adults, and do it properly and not screw around the way that we are right now. Well, that's, I, I think that is the problem, is that a, a lot of this, um, you know, the, the protests and, you know, the, the demands being made on society, there, there's a legitimate basis for those concerns, but you, we're nowhere near being able to try and problem solve. It takes it further away because, you know, the, the demand is, is something, uh, you know, unobtainable that, you know, and, and it's, the, the biggest problem, I think, is that we're living in an outrage culture where everybody is now trained and tuned in to just be angry about everything and they're not there's no actual intelligent thinking going on i don't know i mean i, I think there's intelligent thinking I, I think there are meaningful critiques that are out there what i don't see is that there's meaningful action you you can talk to me as much as you want about meaningful action from our federal government and i don't believe it and i don't see it and i don't buy it you can tell me and i've been and i've been disappointed in our conservative government because of the inconsistencies in handling the pandemic, I've been outraged as to what went on with long-term care facilities. I've been outraged with uh, not making it, not making financial aid more accessible to small business who have suffered. And you go up many streets in our city and see businesses that are closing. And it's really and sad. It, it, it's a travesty, and and you know, n not to mention some of the best, you know 
older restaurants that were family businesses that went under that had great pizza or great whatever, and, and we've seen it gone. I mean, this is culture. Well, and the inconsistency and we see again, it disappear. Like people were, were, you know, fitting their restaurants so that they could open again and put, installing all of this technology, like, you know, shields or like doing whatever they had to do so they could open their business again, and then it was all wasted money. Yeah, I mean, look, again, I, I don't have the data. I'm not sure what's necessarily accurate or not. You know, if you have a restaurant that has a 25% capacity or whatever, I, you know, I, I I get the idea in a closed environment, you're going to have transmission of virus, especially with the variants. I, I, I accept that. If um, if you have big box stores and you've got that many people or you've got a mall with that many people in it, like that, that uh, video that uh, was viral on the weekend, you're going to have transmission. I get it. There's better ways to deal with this. You know, we're looking at a week now where we're having double-digit temperatures with one night I think is going to f***ing rain, and patios are closed. You know, if you space out the tables enough, people are going to be okay, and these restaurants can serve people. I'm worried it's going to rain this week. You mentioned rain, and now it's all I, all I can think about because I'm just like, there's a raccoon in my in my attic, and there's a hole in the roof, and, oh, and as sorry. soon as it rains... But we do need rain. <laughs> it, it has not been a rainy April, and, 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 and we need rain for our plants and everything. But, but, wanna, but we need to get more consistency. We need more consistency. We need to be sensitive to business needs. We need to be sensitive that, you know what... For, for, for us to have a bit of relief, if I can sit on a patio that's spread out properly enough and have a drink and relax a little bit, that's great for my mental health in the midst of what's going on. But then we have to respect each other, make sure we're doing masking, make sure we're, we're, we're washing our hands, make sure we're taking other precautions, and then not allowing uh, you know, the malls to get away with that type of capacity uh, to the detriment of hair salons that might be able to book in by appointment only 10 clients a day with proper health protocols, and now they're starving so because it's an inconsistent in, You don't policy. believe in herd immu- immunity? Was that herd immunity? <laughs> Here's my cynicism. Because the vaccine rollout is so shit, mm-hmm. I'm worried that by the time we get enough of the population vaccinated, there's not some other variant that is going to create greater difficulty and have greater resistance to the vaccines they're rolling out now. And I know they're doing testing now and trying to this is something that we're going to need boosters. How long can we do this, going? though? But you don't think that there's any use in a constitutional challenge on the lockdown rules, right? No. No. To what end? What's your f***ing remedy? Mm-hmm. What's the remedy? The only one that I've heard about so far was very specific in terms of they, you know, they wanted churches to be able to open. But I think there's like another way to go about doing that. If you, if you were to actually try and have churches declared an essential service... You still like have we to have about earlier. To have, or synagogues, yeah. or mosques. Yeah, well, I mean, any type of religious. No, I, you know, I, I get. So let's talk place. about religious. You know, I get it. But if you cram too many people in there, like you do at you know American Eagle, you're going to get transmission of disease. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 we got to be careful as a society. This is not a joke. It's not a joke. People will disagree with me. They'll say it's a hoax, or it's not that transmittable, or it's my right to get sick. You, I don't agree. Mm-hmm. I have to work. We have clients to defend. We have to sometimes go to court. We sometimes have to get in contact with individuals to defend them. We are an essential service. We take it seriously. So I have a right to make sure you don't make me sick. So well, I think that's the problem. Like I mean, people are taking this a lot more seriously than than other illnesses. But I mean, if you look I think at, we are in Canada. But if you look at behavior, like in, in office places and schools or whatever, it's like, you know, when people would get the flu, just a regular flu, or they'd have a cold, they don't stay home. They go into work and then everybody at the office gets sick. Yeah, you know, I, I'm of a different opinion that way because George Carlin had it great. I forgot what that one was. You know, he did one on, that's about a decade old or like got to be longer. I love Carlin. He did this whole comedy <laughs> he thing really about... He got angry at the end though. He was f***ing great. And it's, it was so, he was so right. He talked about, you know, how... You know, we used to drink from garden hoses, and we don't trust our immune system. Mud pies. And there's going to be a virus one day that's going to liquefy your interiors if we don't have our immune system. I mean, to some extent, if we protect ourselves against influenza and every f***ing sneeze and everything else, we're going to just f***ing die from the simplest virus. You know, well, we, need to, we need to be able to have an immune system. and stuff like that. Where... I don't agree with that. But, you know, influenza and other stuff. But COVID-19 and the variants have proven to show that it, it creates worse disease. There are people who die. Our most vulnerable did die. The long-term care facilities was like a sacrificial lamb that was just like, f***ing, roll well, it out. And an, it's wrong. I saw we an article. We need to do that. We need to protect them. 
I don't think it was just a tweet. I think it was a full-blown article. But um, they were saying that there was um, fewer deaths in Alberta than there normally were. And all the deaths were being recorded as, as COVID-related. And they said, so actually COVID has improved our death rate. <laughs> that it's actually lower than it was before. Well, that's because, you know, for the first time, and I don't know how many decades... What do they say about statistics? You know, that's... Uh, different kinds of lies or something? What's that saying? <laughs> I, I don't know. There's but but the reality is, you know, something in statistics. every country is reporting, or, or most, most countries are reporting, the lowest rates of flu in history because of the measures we put in, have put in place over the last year and a, year and, and a month or so. Um, but I don't think that's healthy for us as a species. As a species, we need to have our immune system. We want to talk about other stuff. Well, it's, you just got me going no, about it's, this. No, it's related, though, because we were talking about protests, and then I realized, like, you're, you're following uh, all this stuff more than I am. Cause I'm just I just obsessed. get working, and I, and I just don't even check my, you know, inbox or my messages or anything like that. I just focus on what I'm doing. So, I, you know, of course I'm not <laughs> keeping up on the news. But um, there's all these protests and stuff going on because of the George Floyd thing. And then that guy's on trial now. What's his name? I, I, I just don't like the way they run high-profile trials in the United States. I think it is very damaging to a fair trial. And it just reminds me, whenever I complain about our system here in Canada, about how lucky we are to have the system that we do, where we don't allow cameras into the courtroom, where we're very careful about media reports on evidence, where we have a ban on evidence, where we don't allow daily commentary on a news station about, and so the witness moved to the left, which meant that the witness was... was uh, actually lying and, and all this stupid commentary, which will infect a jury. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, we're a, lucky here. That's we're an lucky. interesting thing. Is like there's been a couple of cases where um, I, I know there was one Canadian trial where the one of the jurors had a, a radio show and he went on the radio show talking about which of course you're not supposed to do, talking no. about deliberation issues, and he uh, exhibited some sort of bias on on the radio program. But, um, but there's also, like, you know, with technology now, like, our, our phones are, like, mini computers. And yeah. they, they don't take phones away from them, right? Well, you can't have it while you're in the jury box. And then you're also instructed not to uh, access social media, etc. And, hey, you know, I, I, my fair experience of juries, they're pretty... Here in Canada, they pay attention to this. Well, we just had a case, you know, that we were reporting on in the um, newsletter, but, um, so I've mentioned it, but, um, yeah. but uh, we had this weird case with the judge who took judicial notice, including a Psychology Today article that he decided to look up and mm. brought in you know, a whole bunch of theories that, you know, he didn't actually present the material to either the Crown or the defense for their feedback and so on. Yeah, just if so the judge is doing it, that. Yeah, it, it, yeah, so if a judge wants to rely on science, you know, social science or other... Uh, evidence that has to be disclosed to both sides so they have an opinion and have a submission on it. But yeah, talk about the case. That's a good example. Yeah, so um, if, if a judge is, you know, and they call it taking judicial notice, right, there's certain things that they, they can do, but it's, it's mostly, yeah, and they can look up their case law, you know, and, and bring in case law that wasn't presented to them. Correct. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But this, in this particular case, he brought in concepts like battered woman syndrome and um, tonic immobility. There's another phrase that he used for it, but essentially it's this concept of tonic immobility because he was trying to, you know, figure out, he was trying to explain why he didn't care that the complainant, and it was a sexual assault case, why she didn't um, distance herself from the person or whatever. Right. So these are like massive contact, uh, you know, concepts that didn't even apply to this case, right? Nobody was, nobody was arguing that she yeah, was... Yeah, yeah in a relationship that would qualify for battered woman syndrome and, and so on. So if a judge is doing something like that, how can, you, how can we think that juries don't? Because I think juries think more common sense and more normal. I, I think judges, unfortunately, with the pressures that's been on them over the last decade, more so since the John Kameshi case, mm -hmm. I think the pressure that's on judges... But we're being told none of this has to do with that case. It was something that they've been thinking about Ugh. for a decade. Bullshit. I know. Bullshit. I think they're under a lot of pressure. I think they're under a lot of pressure to, to try and be careful about not stepping on stereotypes and, and to walk a very tight line 
uh, to address all of the issues and all the sensitivities. I think it's a very difficult job now. And I can imagine that some judges who are hearing a number of sexual assault cases will it's feel gonna be a, nerve-wracking. Will feel a, a tremendous amount of pressure and 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 it's a challenge to render a fair judgment, which is why you and I have concluded that for every trial that we run, we do written submissions, right? We have to write out long, detailed submissions based upon the evidence and the law to point out to the judge the route to an acquittal and give them that foundation so that they are able to write on it. Because if you just make your submissions in a coherent fashion, but don't give them an extremely detailed write to the very minutiae and analyze the law for them, they're going to be under a lot of pressure themselves because I think they're scared to some extent. I think they're scared of pissing off interest groups. And I think that's wrong for our system. Part of the problem is like... Just like some professor out of Dalhousie wants a lawyer to represent every complainant in every trial. All the way through, not just the advanced hearings. Yeah. I I know who you're talking about. (laughs) Look, I mean, some points... She has are good. I'm going to pour you. So, and by the way, this Collingwood blended Canadian whiskey, <laughs> toasted maple, stay finished, is really it's our favorite. And, is really enjoyable. This is, I think, our third podcast with it. It's really outstanding. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that professor, to be fair to her, has some points which are helpful, but some points which are extreme that would damage our truth finding process. Anyways, I, I, I stopped you. I'm sorry. Um, well, no, I, I think... Say something that won't infuriate me. Go ahead. I mean, you don't know... The defense always gets blamed for, you know, alleged rape myths and stereotypes in sexual assault cases. It's always deemed to be, oh, the defense must have done something wrong if this result occurred. You so, mean acquittal? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, God <laughs> um, forbid somebody should No, comments that, that can be, you know, cast in, in terms of... You know, it could have meant something else. So take, I'll give an example. There was one case that's currently a wrongful conviction case now um, that I would love to try and help them. I just don't know how to help them anymore. But um, originally the the guy was acquitted Mm -hmm. and then that was overturned because the judge was concerned about the timing of the complaint. And it was just poorly worded. The concern, when you really look at it, was that um, it was in the midst of a, a custody dispute. And then the person, uh, the complainant went back in a second time and said, we're concerned, we're not going to get the result we want, so I've come in to give a second statement. Right. Right? So that was the concern about timing, but that got twisted to make it look like it was the doctrine of recent complaint. Right? Right. But that's why you and I have made the decision to do detailed, comprehensive, well thought out, woven submissions to help the judge be able to arrive at the right conclusion because we have to tie it into the evidence, avoid the myths, and and come to a rational conclusion as to why it's relevant. Which means knowing what all the myths are. So one of my concerns is if you look at this case, Wanchuk, right, and Justice Claire Leherodebe, so she wrote this dissent listing out a bunch of things that are rape myths. And so that's a good place to, to go and find out what they are. But one of those things is that women lie about rape. That's actually considered to be a rape myth that women lie by rape. No, I, I think what they mean is the idea that women are more likely to lie if they're making a claim of sexual assault. But but it's always being said, and, and I've seen a, a Crown submission to the Supreme Court saying it's a myth that women lie about rape. And so if that's a myth, then just saying that you are not guilty makes you guilty of a rape myth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's avoid that because <laughs> I think most uh, judges hopefully a majority of Crown attorneys and and anybody who has a um, a brain mm-hmm. will realize that people have agendas. Yeah. And sometimes people lie and we have found in a vast well, majority of our truth, own but they're wrong. <laughs> and sometimes it's not only they think they're telling the truth, they know they're telling a lie because there's an agenda especially when it comes out of a high-conflict divorce where there's custody issues. How many times have we heard somebody say, I just want to do anything to ruin them? Well, we've got recordings of people saying that. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, you know, with all due respect, when, and when we have 
a client come in and they're on the end of a charge and they're in a family court proceeding and they're like, I want to do everything in a crusher. And then our response is, don't do that. That's not in the best interest of your children. That's not in the best Mm -hmm. interest of anybody. Take the high road. So we try and redirect them. The difficulty is to say flat out that a myth is that a man or a woman, because I don't want to just say woman, Mm -hmm. that a man or a woman would lie about a sexual assault or a rape is bullshit. We are humans. People have agendas. People want to gain leverage in circumstances, and sometimes people lie. Sometimes they are telling the truth. We don't dispute that. Sometimes there's very legitimate claims of sexual abuse or domestic abuse. That exists. But you can't say that it's a, you can't say believe a complainant. I don't want to say man or woman because both men can be assaulted. You know, believe a complainant. No, investigate it with an open and objective mind. Same with the trial. And people are people. They fabricate for all sorts of reasons and we have to be open to that and we have to be very smart in how we defend that number two reason are people sometimes number two reason that people lie about rape in a study done in a dutch study they don't even know that's an that's an issue actually that we've been writing about about as well yeah i know so um you know motive i think it's a human thing when when, if you're at the trier of fact or on the jury or whatever you kind of want to have an idea about why would they lie. It's the forbidden question. You can't ask it. Um, but the problem is that, you know, there's a study done where um, they asked people who admitted that they lied why it was they did it. And then there's like, you know, I've done a video on it called the top 10 reasons yeah, they yeah. lie about rape. It's a good um, video. But the, but the number two reason is they don't even know because human motivation is so complicated um, that sometimes or, or, we don't even know what motivates us. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Or perspective. Somebody may feel something happen in a certain way a day after or two days after because something else has impacted them about their interaction with this person and now they've come to believe something. I mean, we're complex organisms mm-hmm. with all shit going on in here. And who knows what motivates somebody or influences somebody to view something in a certain way? What is reality? You know, it's a combination of factors. Um, but that said, that... That brings me Some down. Some people don't think there is a reality, just to let you know. <laughs> There's that whole okay. Well, there is, and this is a very good blended uh, reality, whiskey. This is a very and this is a table, and we're really having a talk here, so let's keep it grounded. But the reality is that that's why our system has to be objective, non-biased, against men or women. We can't presume anybody's telling the f-ing truth. And it has to be a trial where there's proper cross-examination, admissible evidence is admitted, and we let it play out. And we can't hamper it. And we can't allow, you know, certain advocates and voices get involved in our system to say that in a certain, like, you know, I faced in commentary before the weekend about, you know, why should sexual assault complainants not have a lawyer throughout the proceeding? Because it's not necessary. Well, they don't know the nuances of the law. Here's the idea. If an offense happened against you, just like, God forbid, if you're a witness to a homicide or you're a victim of an attempted murder or of an assault or of a robbery, you give your statement, you come to court, and you just tell the truth. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Hit the stand and just tell the truth. You don't need to, new, to know the nuances of the law. You don't need to read case right. law. You don't need to be coached by a lawyer to tell the truth. In fact, if you need to be coached by a lawyer, you got a problem with your evidence. Well, we've talked about this before, too, that, like, you know, um, complainants in, in, in sexual assault trials are treated as if it's a unique kind of crime that only creates trauma, if that's the alleged crime. But, but you were talking before about, you know, the emotional um, issues that people deal with when they're when dealing murder, 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 trauma? murder cases, right? So, you know, there's, it's not just these types of complainants who have to deal with the stress of testifying. I've defended murder cases where you have, you know, witnesses testify and they're clearly traumatized. Officers, oh my God, officers who've come upon the scene and you can see how they're impacted. Uh, uh, You know, uh, people involved in a fraud case, my God, serious fraud cases where they've been duped and they've lost, you know, hundreds of thousands of... They're traumatized. I mean, 
Jesus, nobody f***ing represents them in a trial, and they come forward and they testify, and I got news for you. Many complainants or victims come forward and give their evidence at trial without the help of a lawyer, and they do a really good job of it. We have to fight against the, the, the pandering, the misinformation, the, the, the bait-and-switch bullshit about this particular offense. Yes, we need to be sensitive to the needs of, of witnesses, whether it's a sexual assault or a domestic assault. We need to be the same about an accused. It needs to be a fair and civil process where the purpose is to seek out the truth. That's great. And I mean, we have that system. You're very but fair. But don't f*** it up. You're very fair. I mean, you do a lot of sexual assault trials. And, well, we do. <laughs> we work together. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like, when you're... I remember one time the complainant started crying and you said, do you want to take a break? Yeah. And, um, and then she's like, no, 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 I'm fine to keep going. And, you, and you know, the... The next thing you said is, no, I want to make sure you give us the best evidence that you can. So if you're emotional, let's take a break. Yeah. And, and that's actually, I think it's important for people to actually see that it's, there's a stereotype of, of what defense lawyers are like that um, is fueling a lot of outrage and protests and, and demands for things like them to have a lawyer with them all the time. Because the, the idea yeah. being spread is, is that, um, you know, just because of the type of complaint that you're going to be, you're going to have some sort of stereotype TV lawyer who's going to be like um, harassing you and um, terrorizing you and, and, you know. Yeah, this isn't some blaming. bad six episode, you know, series on, you know, Netflix or something where you see some belligerent lawyer. That doesn't help you. It doesn't help your client. No, it just makes it's people not angry. Fair to, it's not fair to the, the witness. We're interested in dealing with cases in an intelligent way. And that doesn't mean we have to be robbed of our humanity, right? right? We, can, yeah. we can represent our clients and do a good job and succeed and not lose our humanity. Mm -hmm. And even if a wit, you know, look, I've been hard on witnesses where I can smell the lie. Mm -hmm. You can smell it. Yeah. You know it's there. Well, it's they, a stink, and you got it. Like and won't. then you have to get hard on them, yeah. right? I've had those. Or if they, you ask a simple question and you can't get a straight answer, then, right. but then there's of a course way you get a little to cross-examine them. Yeah. That you don't have to be a complete dick, mm -hmm. you know. But that said, sometimes you have to be because the witness, you, you, you know, you just know. After 28 or 29 years of me doing this, and if you reading transcripts and being involved, you just know it. You know it. You know it in here, you know it here, and you smell it. You just know. But that doesn't mean in other cases we can't be, we, we have to be, we have to have humanity. We understand that this is a, it's a psychological process, this whole thing. And we need to be, we need to keep knowledge of all the aspects that play here. So I, I think it's unfair to cast all defense lawyers that way. Yeah. But what's important is that we keep our it's eye on the ball with criminal trials. Myths and stereotypes trials. about lawyers. <laughs> but, but that's right. But that translates into bad law. Yeah. That translates into bad law and how we deal with these types of cases. And, and, it, and I think it's unfair to other types of cases where witnesses have to testify. And, you know, we can't create a special forum for sexual assault cases to the detriment of wrongful convictions. I know. That's it seems How many to be people's lives a have lack been of ruined. concern about wrongful convictions lately. But and here's the joke. It just doesn't happen to men. I've represented women in, in high-conflict divorce cases where men have been calculating to rob a female, to, to rob a mother of access, custody to a child. I, I've been involved. Very well calculated. I know somebody you know? who had that happen to her. And it goes it, both it was ways. heartbreaking, yeah. Right. So we, we need to be alive to these issues. And so we can't create, you know, just these blunt instruments and these blunt rulings. But, okay, so I've had this sort of ongoing debate with people. Uh, a lot of people who follow me on YouTube <clears throat> want to see complainants who lie punished and charged with uh, making a false complaint. And I, I get that. Yeah. And, and of course, a lot of our clients are just like, what happens now? Like, what happens to her when she's exposed as lying? Yeah. You know, nothing. That's the answer. Nothing happens. But I, yeah. I have a bit of a concern with uh, over, you know, with prosecuting too many people for making a false complaint because if it's it'll possible, yeah, it'll, you know, one, it'll never we're talking, happen. We're talking well into the hypothetical. I mean, I've had cases where I've established fabrication and nothing happened. 
Um, but that, you know, there's civil remedies available still. Um, but it's, I mean, once you get through a criminal trial, do you really want to go back to court again? If you have to. If you have to. <laughs> Only if you have to. You know, I, but, I, I just think... So here's my concern, though. I think that the best outcome would be if somebody makes a complaint, and, and I don't think they realize that, you know, it'll automatically result in a charge, which is the policy now, right? And so they don't mandatory realize the charge, seriousness of it. Mandatory prosecution. I would rather make it easier for them to withdraw the complaint and, and just say, I don't want to be involved anymore, which, you know, complainants now come from victims' rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're assumed victims yeah, yeah. have a voice in whether to prosecute or not. Yeah. I would rather make it easier for them to say, you know what, I screwed up, and, you know, how can I get out of this? Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Is it paternalistic for the state to say, you have no voice in this prosecution? Once you go to the police and you give a statement and a charge is laid, you just become a witness. It's up to the prosecutor, whatever their philosophy or ideology is. Is that fair? Well, this, I mean, that's is the that, question that being asked by this want? Dalhousie professor, correct? Yeah, she's saying that they should have their own lawyer so that, you know, they're, they have a say in, in how things you know, how choices are made. I don't think that's what she's getting at. But if, if, if I don't if, think so either. But if, if she was of the opinion that there needs to be some degree of a decision-making power or autonomy to a complainant to come forward and say to the authorities, look, you know what? With hindsight, I really don't want to follow through with this prosecution. I would be in support of that. I don't think that's her agenda. No, with all due not. respect. I've read her books, so I don't think is. that is. I also am concerned about that because of the pressures of life, that some complainants may feel that they want to retract a complaint simply because of life. There's a lot of reasons to not want to go through with a criminal trial. So I think there needs to be a better way for a complainant to have a voice as to whether a complaint goes forward. Yeah. That doesn't mean you need a lawyer throughout the proceedings. Mm -hmm. But maybe access to counsel at some stage of the proceeding so that you can have a choice or have a voice in whether that proceeding goes ahead. Because we've seen families destroyed where you are, you know, divorced by judicial interim release, which is a complainants bail. come to the firm saying, I, I want to try and get legal help to have the charge withdrawn. All the time. I was angry. I was upset. I was emotional. It really didn't quite play out that way, but because I was so upset and I had something to drink, I just, I went off the cuff and whatever. And when you go in to give a statement to police and, you, and they tell you, well, you know, it's a criminal offense to say something that's not true and swear an oath. And then you still give a statement because you're still pissed off at the time. And then, you know, sober hindsight, 24, 48 hours later, you realize, oh, my God, I don't want this to happen. Mm -hmm. So I think there should be a greater voice. And I think there should be more holistic approach as to how we manage it at that point. Not everything has to be criminal. Not everything has to have a criminal sanction at the end of the day. And when you think about it, too, the implications for that family are very far reaching because with criminal records, people get removed from the country. You lose jobs. You know, it has very devastating impacts on families. And, and pushing it to overcriminality, getting lawyers and, you know, just railroading an accused doesn't help either. I know. It's a really, I mean, that's, that's the thing that fascinates me with law is every single question you can ask yourself is always complicated when you start trying to answer it. And that reminds me. Do you ever me, get bored with criminal law? That was so funny because just like this week, you know, Emily walks in and she's like, do you ever get bored? <laughs> yeah, no. No, I know. Because every case frustrated. is so unique. Yeah, you get, you get frustrated, you know. It's a difficult, uh, you know, business. Uh, every business is difficult. But, you know, I don't get bored. I mean, we, we, we enjoy a challenge. We enjoy I feel like every people. case is like a movie. I feel like I'm watching a movie with every case. And, I, and I'm interested to get yeah, to the yeah. end, but it's also scary because you don't know how it's going to turn out. And, you know, nowadays, you don't always get a happy ending. Right? Look, I, I don't know if this explanation will meet with particular favor, but, you know, there is intellectual enjoyment in working out a problem. Yeah. You know, I can't say I'm not in this particular line of business because 
when you take a problem like this and, and, and be able to work with your client and the facts and the evidence and forge a strategy, that's intellectually pleasing. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's fun. Um, it's enjoyable. I like, um, Leaving aside from, you know, every so often you get an innocent client and you win, uh, which is the majority of our clients. But anyways, it's, it's just, it's good. It's good work. It's intellectually, yeah. you're constantly thinking. I like games that always have a, you know, an ability to win. So like, you know, I, I don't like playing solitaire because, um, yeah. you know, it depends on how the deck is stacked yeah. that you can't control it. But the, there's another game, um, where you've got like four spaces above. There's like, I got obsessed with this game for a while because I became aware that you could win every single game, no matter how the cards are laid out. And you just kind of, you know, move stuff from one line yeah. to the other. And then you can, you know, got free sell, I think it's called. Um, and, and so then I got obsessed and, and every game has a number to it, right? So you can return and you can replay yeah. if you lose. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm really drawn to that kind of stuff. And this is one of the reasons I actually do like math, even though I'm an artistic kind of person. I love math because um, it makes sense and it's solvable. It gives you a, a pathway to Yeah, something. but as my son Jack will say, and you can appreciate it, and he's brilliant at 14. He goes, you know, Dad, why I like math so much and I'm good at it? Because there's one answer. Mm -hmm. That's not the same with law. So the reason I enjoy law and things like psychology and sociology is because there is not one answer. There are different routes to get to an objective. And it's more to me like chess. You plot out a strategy. And yes, there are parameters with everything. You have to know that, yeah, that's one of the things. I tried playing chess and I sucked at it. And I just, it bothered me because I'm intelligent and I don't like not understanding things. And then I found out that there's like areas that you have to learn how to control the areas of the board. There's strategy that's really important. And there is, and there's the same in our business. There's a certain strategy. You have to understand parameters and then work within that strategy, but there's much more creativity that we have. There's tons of creativity we can have. And that's what makes this so interesting from an intellectual level, which people will, you know, who might listen to this or watch this go, F they're disgusting. You know, playing with people's lives. You know, somebody said something that they're guilty or not guilty. Well, it's like being a doctor, though. It's like, you know, yeah, you can't have fun. a bad day at work no, when but, you're a doctor. No, but, but, you know, you don't just get in and, like, you don't just enjoy being a doctor simply because you want to help people. You enjoy diagnosing. You enjoy treating. You enjoy working with people. You're into surgery. You know, some high-end surgeons, thoracic, neurological. It's difficult surgery. And it's, you know, career and intellectually fulfilling to be able to not only save somebody's life, but be able to do that type of thing. And there's a greater nobility to that in some respects. But, you know, you've got to enjoy your, your business. You've got to enjoy what you're doing in order to be successful at it. And you have to have an intrinsic value that way in order to do a good job. If we were not intellectually challenged and enjoyed, we'd be shit at what we do. And our system would be garbage because of that. We have to be invested in it that way. I know. And, and it's important, actually, to be coming at the trial from a neutral position. I mean, if you look at people who try to self-represent, they, they don't understand the rules of evidence. They don't understand how complicated it is. Mind you, when people are self-representing, they get assigned, you know, a counsel. Amicus, amicus on certain things, yeah. On certain things, yeah. but um, especially in sexual assault cases, they can't cross-examine the complainant themselves. Or domestic. And, and so on. Yeah. But, um, but people think, nobody's more passionate about my case than I am, and I know she's lying, so I know how I'm going to catch her, and I know how, how to do this stuff. And then all of a sudden, they, they find out they can't ask a certain question because there's no foundation laid, Right. And it's funny because the more I work in law, the more I start using these phrases that I realize people... You're infected. I used to You're explain. Infected. I know. I used to explain stuff to people and they'd be like, oh, I, I understand what my lawyer is telling me now. Right? And that was my value. And now I had the same person just within the span of like, you know, doing all this research and stuff within the span of like seven months where I talked to her and she go, I have no idea what you just said to me. Yeah, well, because you're learning the lingo. <laughs> is there something we missed on our motherboard that we want to talk about? Um, no evidence. No evidence. I know. Our favorite question. How can this be going to trial when there's no evidence? It's worse than that. How can I be charged? How can I be charged? Yeah. I, I get, oh my God. I get this so many times. Um, and I'm going to try and be polite about this. Mm -hmm. And people say to me, well, how can some individual 
just go to the police and give a statement without any other evidence. And how is their statement evidence? Where's the evidence? And I try and explain in a calm, dispassionate way. Well, a statement is evidence. A person's experience as they recount on a statement to police is evidence. And in fact, that can be a sufficient basis at a trial to convict and often is because in particular in domestic related cases, it happens behind closed doors where there's not video cameras and there's no other independent evidence. But it's amazing to me how many people unfortunately don't understand that and then are at a loss at how they can be charged. And then I have to come out when they press me too much on this and I explode that nobody pays attention to the policies that are put in place by government until themselves, their family, or their friends are charged. And then they're like, how can this happen? And I'm like, well, pay attention. Well, we get asked almost every single time on a sexual assault case, we get asked that question. And then we swap who, who's going to answer it. <laughs> I think I'm deferring to you more now so that my head doesn't explode and my, you know, I know. I, I don't go crazy because I just, you know, it's it to me it's self-evident. It's important. It's important for people to understand that nothing but a statement from a complainant can so cause them it, to get convicted. Let's get it across really clear now. Clear. Look into that camera and explain. <laughs> That's your camera. I'll look into this All one. All right, whatever. <laughs> explain that, you know, a person can go to a police officer and say, X, Y, and Z happened to me, and on that basis, they can be charged, and then without anything else to support it, they can go to trial and give that evidence, and the person who's charged with the offense can be convicted. And there are good reasons for that. Yeah. There are good go reasons. There are good reasons, but I, I, think it's, I think it's so important for people to prepare themselves and understand that like, if you go into a trial thinking, well, there's no way in hell I'm going to get convicted because there's no evidence, right? That yeah. you're not taking it seriously enough and understanding the issues involved. Nor, and nor, nor are you prepared properly by either your, your, your lawyer or if you're dealing with yourself, you're just, you're going to get killed. Yeah, and it's, you know, this, um, and it's, it's not an issue where like a guilty person thinks, oh, well, I can get away with this. It's so easy because there's no evidence. You know what I mean? Not at all. It's just innocent people are Not going. Not at all. It's innocent, innocent people. Innocent people are, go, are Absolutely. going. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but it's harder like for you the said, though, people to understand it. Yeah. But like you said, though, it, you know, it's true that this type of crime, that, that type of crime, sexual assaults, happen with very uh, few witnesses. And domestic assaults. Right? Yeah. Not to say that there's, you know, in the totality of a statement made, there's often witnesses who, you know, in terms of whether or not the account of what happened before they got a loan is true or what happened afterwards is true. You can get witnesses there. But, but I think it was a, a really positive thing for us to acknowledge that, that these are things that happen on a basis where you you, all you're going to have is the testimony of a complainant. Well, just imagine, you know, like the reality is there's good reason for this. You know, a, a, a child victim will not have the ability to video record what's happening or audio record or have access to other means to get the allegation mm -hmm. out. That happens behind closed doors in very cloistered search situations, and you have to allow that to come forward. It will be the same with a domestic partner who maybe for years, for whatever reason, economic disadvantage, other things are, are shunned into a situation where they don't have access to get out of their situation, have to endure abuse, and all they have is their own, is their own evidence, their own voice. Yeah, and they're not going to be avoidant because this is their family; it's the only thing they know. Right. So, I mean, there's good reason that we don't need corroboration. That I absolutely accept, and and it's fine. But we, but but our clients who come to us and people have to understand that that can also be abused, and it's abused yeah. often, and that's just the system we have. But that's why we need a fair judicial process, not just the criminal justice process, but a judicial process that is not bogged down in people telling them, this is a myth, this is a myth, this is a myth, believe this, believe that, believe this. It has to be a fair process. Yeah. Where we it's allow... not victim blaming to demand that evidence meet a standard of proof. No. Or that we can cross-examine on stuff. Or frankly, that we shouldn't have to disclose our f***ing case ahead of trial. Well, and have it vetted by some piece of lawyer whose only job is to represent complainants, 
and try and parse out that's admissible or not based upon some things which are not logical, you know, and told what is common sense and what isn't. I'm sorry, I don't buy into that. This is where I, you know, you and I, I think, meet ways that I think we have to be careful. There are certain myths that are wrong. We know that. But, you know, the majority of us who are intelligent and know how to run our case shouldn't have to vet the case before a judge before we run it. I, I think the the ending point here and the, and the thing that I would really like people to understand, it's not you about... You more in your cup. I do. It's, it's not about not believing victims. It's about understanding why it's so... You mean complainants. Yeah. Until there's a verdict. Well, but but the way they approach it is they're always victims, right? No, that. So it's, it's not about the saying, language is insidious. We don't know, have that. I we know. shouldn't have that. But it, it's not an issue. Demanding a fair trial isn't an issue about whether or not you believe the particular person. It, it's the important thing is that we cannot incarcerate innocent people by relaxing our standards. I agree, and you know what's you, you know what you know what language we need to replace. Believing victims and all that other stuff, we have to have dignity in our system. Yeah. For both dignity the person... Dignity for the accused as well. Dignity for the person who comes forward and dignity for the accused. Yeah. And have an open and objective mind and investigate. That's what we need. If there's Absolutely. anything left in there. there. There's one more. Okay. Until next time. Did the Blue Jays win today?